Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shir. Shir, of course, Lidl Nishmas, Lidl Shlamis. Tonight is Dalid Shvat. Early Dalit Shvat would be considered halachically a Gemara language. Early meaning the night before, as the Gemara Psachim begins, Early Arba Osar, Vaitkin Esachamas Leraner, and the Gemara goes back and forth as to the actual meaning of the word Early. Does Early mean day, does Early mean night, and ultimately, of course, we know the Maskana. Bidikis <coughs> Chomets is, of course, the night prior to Yudalit, night leading into Yudalit. Karbanis, of course, the Cheshbon is called differently. The Karbon Shechet by day has then a day and a night to become Pigel, become Neisar, excuse me. So Dalit Shvat is, of course, you know, as if you listen in the archives, the significance of Dalit Shvat is the yard site of the Holy Babasali, Misral Abu Chatzira. Um, I believe I was told already the story of Ashkach Pratis I had yeah. the last time that I had a shir on Dalit Shvat um, I had told the story of the Babasali with the Rebbe and ultimately that story came back to me came back to me physically in other words I actually met the children of the Baldover that the story referred to. Um, go back. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you where the sh- where I told that story. But tonight again, as in honor of Hilula, we will of course go out and discuss. We will give cover to the Holy Babasali. We would like to discuss Saya's story, another different story with the Rebbe, and a few other stories of the Babasali himself, showing the greatness and the skashness of the Babasali. connections that he had had. Babasali, of course, had had his righteousness generations and generations. When it comes to the Hilula of a tzaddik, we don't say the only the yard site, although it is in essence the yard site, the Hilula meaning the Yema Simcha, the outside of the Babasali tonight, Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzera. And therefore, on this day, of course, as is going to be next week, Yud Shvat, which hopefully we'll discuss a little bit about today as well, although Yud Shvat is next Wednesday, but a few of them in Hogim at least, for Yud Shvat, leading up to Yud Shvat. Hence, Dalid Shvat as well, being a holy day outside of a holy man, is a day that we should pray, we should add in prayer, add in tzedakah, add in whatever we can, good deeds between one another. Especially if we can find something, a teaching of the tzaddik to learn that as well that day. Those who light a candle, those who go to the grave, etc. It was Dalit Shvat, Tavshin Mem Dalid, Tavshin Dalid Mem, 32 years ago that the Babasali was a stalic. 
32, of course, you know, is significant of Lev, the Gematria Lev, which is, refers to the heart of the person. He was a great, great, great sage, as well a very, very, very spiritual person. Similar to the Baal Shem Tov. He too, his merits, watched over this generation, one end of the world, but always, ultimately, as we've heard many other stories, conferred with the Rebbe in their own ways. They didn't need to fax, they didn't need to text, they didn't need to WhatsApp each other or email each other. They had their ways of communication that they communicated one to another, relating and joining in prayer for whatever situations Kali Yisrael may have needed. Babasali had his own way of precious, separating himself from the worldly fashions. He never looked at a woman. Sat, he learned Teda, he studied Teda, he taught Teda. He led the community in Morocco. And of course, no words went unsaid. No words fell to nowhere. And they tell hundreds and hundreds of stories of miracles that happened with the Babasali. When he left from Morocco the second time, he came to Yerushalayim. People didn't let him live. They just constantly barraged him with their, their needs and their requests and their blessings, their beseechments for blessings. And he was one that ran away from honor. And so from Yerushalayim he could not hide. He picked himself up and he went north to the city of the holy city of Tzfas. He arrived, arrived in Tzfas, and Tzfas is known for the city of the Arizal Hakadosh, Arizal Achai. As he arrived there, there's a base Knesset called the base Knesset Shal Arizal, and he asked about. He wanted to go down there. He found out the base Knesset is closed. It's sealed off. It has a lock. It has a bar across the, the door people cannot go in there they're not allowed in there he asked why and he was told that people went in there and they immediately died they like the holy of holies when a person would enter the holy of holies if they did not belong there as the Kayin Godel on, in Kippur they died and therefore for generations, the Rabbanim of Tzvas decreed, in order to prevent Chasom's happening anymore, that this be locked off and nobody's allowed to go in. The Babasali went down to the cave of the Arizal. He spent much time there. He asked the Shamish Meshesh Taris. Sorry, he was there for a very long time. Then he went to the Arizal's mikveh. And then he asked the Shabbos Meshashtaretz to give him the keys. Give me the keys to the shul of the Arizal. Shabbos started to tremble. He was petrified. He didn't want God forbid that the Babasali should be hurt or God forbid die. Babasali insisted the keys be given to him. And the Shamish acquiesced on condition that a rope be tied to the Babasali's foot. So if God forbid he should pass in the shul, they'd be able to pull him out. Nobody wants to go back in to get him, and they too would die. And this way they could pull him out. And this is the same thing that happened 
ultimately the Kohen Gadol had also pretty much the same predicament when he went into the Holy of Holies. The Babasali opened the door, he unlocked it, he went into the shul, he took out from the Aron Kedesh the Sefer which is called the Sefer of the Arizal. He read from it whatever was there at that time, at that place. He came out and he said, now on the shul can be open to the public. He told the Shamish, go let everybody know, and the Shamish community ran to the Rabbonim and he told them what's going on. The miracle, everybody went to look after the Babasali. And again, the Babasali, <laughs> now revealing himself, was again barraged by the masses. And so again, now he took himself off to the city of Tveria. And of course, the sages of Tzvas did not renege on this, and they chased him, they pursued him to Tveria. And he explained to them how so it was that the shul was now able to dominate. Again, at that point in time, they made a big chagiga, a big suda door that someone first of all went in and came out of the shul of Darizal, especially since it was the Babasali, and there's a big simcha in the city. Then again, the head of the Russia call of Morocco could not hold out from anywhere from the Babasali not being in, in Morocco with his community. They begged him to come return to his flock. And they convinced the Babasali to come back to journey via ship. The Moshe Turjuman Arrange this. And um, everything was arranged to go, the ship to go on the, to go to sea from Etzisel to Morocco. Suddenly, as they were traveling, a storm broke out. At the time, the Babasali was underneath in the ship, in the belly of the ship as they would call it in his quarters but those that were up on deck and those that were manning the ship saw the situation was not good it was a very grave situation and they ran down to the Babasali and they told him what's going on the ship is going to sink the Babasali came up And he took out a becher, a kiddush cup. Special kiddush cup that he had. This was used from his grandfather, Yaakov Abba He poured wine into the kiddush cup. Made a bracha with tremendous kavana berpi agafen. He swallowed a little bit from the kiddush cup and then he poured the rest into the water. And the See, no, just came to came standstill. Entire thing subsided. Everything subsided, and the rest of the journey went peaceful. 
And he came back to Morocco and the ruler's son was very, very ill. And the doctors pretty much gave up hope on him. And the ruler himself came, the ruler of Morocco came to the Babasali and asked him, save his son. Babasali took out of his pocket a watch. And he told the messengers to put this under the pillow of the sick person, of the child. And he said, the Shalalam, Babasali said, the send their to this child, so that all the nations should see the greatness of your name. The very next day, the child started to speak again. Several days later, the child was off bed and away from his entire illness. the ruler told the child henceforth I'm no longer your father the Babasali is your father he gave you a renewed life I'm no longer you owe him your life many many miracle stories that were told over then in Tavshim and that we've heard before in the times. <clears throat> and it was inevitable that there must have been a tremendous decree against Kali Yisrael and the Babasali accepted to sacrifice himself to save the Jews of the decree. Babasali was born in Tafresh Nun Rosh Hashanah. In the city of Morocco, his father, Rabbi Masud Bukhatsera, Rabbi Masud, the son of the learned Nisan Agon Akadosh, Rabbi Yaakov Bukhatsera, He wrote many Svarim and Nigla and in Nister. In the regular, in the revealed portions of the Tera and in the hidden portions of Tera. And amongst them were Raftuchei Chesem, Machshuf, Vehalavon, and others. The Babasali was very attached to the Balshemtov. He considered himself a direct disciple from the Balshemtov. And even more so to the Altarev, the Balatanya. The only yard site in the course of a year that the Babasali did not say Tachnum was Chavdal Tevis. The outside of the Altarev. The times that he had to travel excuse me. He wanted to be by himself. He wanted to serve God in his own way. No one should disturb him. So many times he went for Khadish El and Yam Narayim the yeshiva Tevchatimim in Brunois. Where's that? France. The yeshiva Dan Hola gave him two rooms. There he practiced, he did whatever he had to do there. Every night, Vratzeis until the era Baker, he would sit and learn the Kutateira. Sefer Dal Terebe on Teira, on Chemishkum Shateira, on Shashirim and Megillus. Bishua Chadad, the Rav Milan, once told that in the month of El Tavshin Tezayin, 
he merited to be the Chavrusa of the Babasali in learning of Lukut Tera. He remembers that before early morning, after they learned all night long, they would make a minion for the Babasali, he would daven Shachris, then he would go rest. Out of Yom Kippur, he asked that they bring a certain Sheikhit. Bring a Sheikh, a special Sheikhit for his Kapara. Rav Chadad brought a Sheikhit, a Tamim named Rav Yael Edelman. After he shechted, Rav Chadad asked the Babasali, No, is the Shechita okay? Is the okay? And he answered him, Moshe Rabbeinu Kareed from the Shechita. After he said about this Shechit, that he wipes the the, uh, the knife, the sakin that he uses, he wipes with his own tears. Of That's why it's so smooth, his, his knife. The Machluf of Crispin, very another very close disciple and relative of the of the Babasali, he's the Rav of the Kiryas Bialik, also a Chabadnik, and he was married to a granddaughter of the Babasali. He told a story that he himself witnessed. It was the year Tavshin Mem. I went to Yechidus, he says to the Rebbe, the Babich Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to me, I know that you're very close to the Babasali, a relative. Tell me a story of the Babasali. <laughs> On Yechidus, the Rebbe should ask such a thing, as it's very uh, amazing. So I said as follows, I told the following story that came to my mind. This is uh, Crispin telling this. When the Babasali arrived in Eretz Yisrael, in the year Tavshin Chavdalid, he originally settled in Yavne by his son-in-law. His brother was there. There was a kail in Yavne. A kail. It's a famous uh, Gemara talks about the the, study, the people that study and learn Torah in Yavne. So there was a kail in Yavne, and the Rasha kail was a very big goyim, but he very much considered himself practically a direct lineage from the Vilna goyim. And the Rashakel asked once from Rabbi Crispin, set me up a meeting with the Babasali. I said, fine. He went into the Babasali and said that Rashakel wants to come in. Babasali said, Vakasha. He came in, and the Tzadik, the Babasali, was very, very becovedic to him, gave him great honors, brought different cakes and wines. This is how it always worked over there. He brought cakes and mashka or wine. Selchayim. Crispin says, I don't know how they got to the subject, but suddenly the subject changed to the Balshemtiv. The Balshemtiv and the Gra. In within the conversation, all of a sudden, Rashakel says to the Tzadik, in a very humble way, He doesn't think it's a comparison the Bashemtiv to the greatness of the Vilna Gon when it came to Nigla. That was the Vilna Gon when it comes to learning Nigla, the Tera, Gibara, things like that, was superior to the Bashemtiv. So he told the Babasali. Babasali went a little ballistic, shall we say. And he started to scream, Who brought this guy in here? 
who is he to interfere between two great people? He has no idea who the Bashemta was. Now please get out of here. I don't want to ever see you again. So Baba Sali told the Russian girl. Needless to say, there were Crispin who was together in the room at the time, heard this screaming. And he says, I went out with him. I was quite embarrassed. So I caused this. I brought this guy in. No. He's telling this all to the Rebbe. He went out. I told to my family, my relatives over there, I got to find a place to hide. So embarrassed what I just did to the Baba Sali. And he was in the room with the Maradasir Rabavram, the brother of the Babasali. Suddenly the Babasali himself sends a message to Crispin, get back in here. So I came into the room and the Babasali told me, What did you do to me? What was, what were you thinking? A guy that could come here and talk against the Baal Shem Tov? Then the Babasali said, You will see that tomorrow this kale will no longer exist. And the next day, I, I went out and I told this to Rabbi Avram. Avram started to cry. And he was in tremendous pain. He says, how can the city of Yavne be without a kailu? I told him, the Baba Sahli knows what he's doing. No, we understand, of course. <coughs> Sadiq never mentioned it again. I didn't tell anybody. But the fact is, the next morning, the Rosh HaMuatzah, of Yavne called in the Rosh Hakel, the head of the city and he said to him I got a, re- a, a notification that we're, the Misrad Apnim is no longer going to be sponsoring you you've been cut off <coughs> in other words nobody can get paid nobody can get paid there's no reason to be there and the Kail closed out closed down as predicted by the Baba Sali. After a short time, he called in the Bavram, and he said to him all that happened, and he said, I'm leaving the city, after this he went over to live in Ashkelon, the Bavram. No, so I told this story to the Rebbe, Yechidiz, the Rebbe listened to every detail here. And the Rebbe spread out his hands and said to me, Visrakshus, with great emotion, This is what happened. You have such stories and you're keeping them to yourself. Mm-hmm. So this, I guess, would be a sufficient tribute to the Baba Sali. As far as Kyle is concerned, um, I heard from somebody that they made a commitment to the British Lilam. The lottery tonight is $1.5 billion. If I win the lottery, I'll go to Kyle for the rest of my life. And he got a message from the British Lilam. I have Kyle in the light to sit and learn for $100 a month. I don't need you for $1.5 billion, I don't need you to go there and Kyle. It's a little exaggerated. Um, so another guy said that I'll go for, if I win the lottery, I'll sit and learn. How am I going to fail? It's also nice idea. Considering they're going to fail sometimes, not necessarily hand in hand with learning. Wow. 
three little makas. Arba, Cheshech, and Makas Becheres. That's all. And then we have the Pasha itself, the Pasha where the Tera should have started. Hachedish is a Lachem Reish Chadashim. This little Pasha here has packed quite a wallop. And then we have in the Pasha discussing the Tefillin. Where does all that go into an hour? Especially when half of it's gone to the Babasali. Our Pasha, chapter Yud, chapter 10, verse 22. Perik Yud, Pasich of Beis. And there was thick darkness over the entire land of Egypt. Now, in truth, Rashi explains the Makis. What happened? Tzfadeya, we told the story of the Mad Tzfadeya that came out and it got hit and it's belching out and this and that. Here Rashi gives us something else. Rashi all of a sudden explains why the Makkah was needed. What do we need this Makkah Cheshach for? An awkward Makkah, it became so dark that no one was able to move. If you were sitting, you remained sitting. If you were standing, you remained standing. You didn't even try to fall on the floor. It was just too dark. Um, huh? Darker than blackouts? It's darker than a blackout you can ever imagine. Sirashi so says one of the reasons for the Makis, or Makabachedis, was the Jews went into the houses of the Egyptians. And they searched, and they found all the treasures that the Egyptians were hiding. So that, when the Jews left Egypt, they should knock on the Egyptians' door, and say, give me, davai. And the Egyptians said, nietu, I don't have. So they'd say, really? What about in this closet? What about over here in this corner? Because they knew where everything was. A wonderful, wonderful Rashi. And the Mechamish, the Mikra, eats it up. That's a phenomenal explanation. There's another explanation Rashi brings down as well that there were people who did not want to leave Egypt. Yidden. That still were not ready to leave Egypt. What do we do with them? The Yidna are going out. They're going to leave Mitzrayim. What do we do with these outcasts who don't want to leave? Well, said the Ebishter, they have to die. But if they're going to die during one of the Makis, then everybody's going to say, ah, even the Jews suffered. Therefore, Makis Chesha came along, and it became so dark that nobody could see what was going on. These Jews that did not want to leave died and were buried. And the Egyptians were none the wiser. They didn't know anything about it. We also learned this week about the slave, no? The what? Moshe Rabbi also learned the Jewish people uh, uh, the first mitzvah of how to become a slave. First mitzvah is the Lechem. Rishchodesh is the first mitzvah. But it wasn't telling one, one part about the slaves? It's a different concept. So now when they're leaving Egypt, they came and they said, okay, give us what you have. The Medrash tells us something pachaja, something similar. Medrash adds the way the Jews canvassed the Egyptian, Egyptian homes was not a natural way. When the Jews went, light would follow them. It would light up and it would show everything that people had. Whatever things were had, they had them, it lit it up. Now, 
when we look at the words of Rashi, we make the assumption that though B'nai search was made easier, it was facilitated, because the Egyptians were blinded, it was still necessary for them to comb the Egyptians' homes using a natural way. But Rashi's opinion that the search was conducted in an ordinary way without the guidance of a miraculous light teaches us a very powerful lesson. That when a mitzvah is done, it needs to be done in a natural way. The reason, the, pur- the purpose of performing a, a mitzvah is to take this material item and to elevate it. The material world and to elevate it and to transform the world itself into a holy place that God can rest. Same way also, the natural hardships or monetary costs of doing a mitzvah is an even greater thing that a person does in our lives. To be elevated into a holy act. Because if these costs will be circumvented to supernatural means, then the mundane, the natural world will remain unaffected. Therefore, it could not be done supernatural. It needs to be done actually in a natural way, so that it actually directly affects the world and all that's in it. So Rashi maintains the mitzvah assigned to Bnei Yisrael to request that be given Egyptian valuables. The best way to do it, if it was done naturally, to make an ordinary search. Because if the Jews were shown all the hideouts and all the places that they hid everything by some miraculous x-ray machine, the opportunity of the mitzvah would not exist. You didn't find the Ramachos? You didn't find it? Let us turn to HaKedish HaZelachem Reish Kadashim. The first mitzvah of the Tera. I didn't see this. My apologies. My phone is not on sound, it's on silent, and therefore I did not realize you sent the text. Okay. We are moving on to the next topic. This month should be the head of your months. Now, as we said before, when in the beginning of Bereshis, the Tater says, Rashi says, that the Tater Lechera should have started at this point. In the chapter 12, verse 2 of Shemais, is where actual Tater, which is Lashon Heda, which is teaching us lessons, teaching us ways of life, teaching us how we have to live, and therefore, how is that? That's through mitzvahs. Excuse me, the first mitzvah of commandment is Atah Khedish Zalakem. Rashkodish. In effect, creating a Jewish calendar. What happens here? Hashem shows Mesha the crescent of the moon. Crescent moon. So when the moon renews itself like this, it's going to be Rosh Chodesh. The fact that this mitzvah is the first mitzvah teaches us that the 
making the Kiddush HaKedush makes, becomes a model mitzvah. And it therefore finds itself at the core of every other mitzvah. The primary purpose of the mitzvahs is for what? Is to take world, as we said before, and turn it into spirituality. To take a mundane thing and make it holy. You take a lulav and you make a brach on it. You take an essay and you make a brach on it. You take a matzah and you make a brach on it. You use this for a holy mission. <coughs> Thereby, you are accomplishing and you are making this essence, this physical being, into something spiritual. Where do we see this? We find this in Kiddush HaKedush. What is Kiddush HaKedush? Sanctification of the new month. The Bezdin decides, because they saw the moon and everything else, they say, okay, today becomes HaKedush. A simple Tuesday, a simple Monday, a simple day of the week, <coughs> takes on a new stature. The new stature being HaKedush. Shout out to Stephen Levy. He's very, very in sick to the words Rishchoidish. And whenever it's Rishchoidish, he likes to make note that today's Rishchoidish. And on Rishchoidish, there were different Karbanas. There was a Musif, and this Karbanas for Rishchoidish, etc. So the Bez needs to calculate the cycle of the sun and the moon. So not only the days that are sanctified as Rishchidosh, but by extension the entire month now, which falls into place thereafter of that month, the second day of that month, third of that month, etc., all reveals the godliness that was brought into the fact that it was sanctified by the first day of the month. Therefore Rishchidosh, Kiddush HaKedosh, HaKedosh Zalachem, is the first mitzvah. It's clearly and obviously the act of sanctifying the mundane, which is essentially the underlying theme of all the mitzvahs. But more so, the concept of time ultimately is marked by change. This is, all, this is really the first and most basic characteristic of every creation. The change of a non-existent to an existent. An ayin liyesh. So the mitzvah of declaring Rishchidosh is specifically the first mitzvah. Just like time is the very first creation. The same way also making it holy is the very first mitzvah. We also find another very interesting mitzvah in this parsha. Prior to actually leaving Egypt, Egypt worshipped the water of Nilus because it rose up as the brach of, of Yaakov and it irrigated the entire land. But the deity, excuse me, the deity of Egypt was the Shepsalah. The little Shapsala. The sheep. The lamb. And they were told, therefore, that they need to take the lamb and bring it as a sacrifice. Bring it as a sacrifice. And this would ultimately totally eradicate the Egyptians. 
They were told to take the lamb on the tenth day of the month. Tenth day of the month of Nisan, take this lamb that you're going to slaughter on the fourteenth day, tie it to your bedpost, let the Egyptians keep asking, what are you doing with it? So that you can, you may answer, I am going to shecht it. I'm going to slaughter it. It's going to be a korban Pesach. Wonderful. This is the mission. On the 10th of this and to do it. Rashi says, these four days waiting were necessary. Because time redemption arrived. But B'nai Yisrael was so steeped in idolatry that to leave Egypt's borders they would have brought with them the influences from Erebus Aretz. It still, it had a, it was so affected, they were so affected by it. And therefore, ultimately, the redemption will be incomplete. So the shechting of the sheep, the Egyptian deity, deity, whatever you want to call it, it must be deity, for a carbon Pesach, was the way the Jews rehabilitated from this whole Avedizara. <clears throat> but the Jews in Egypt not only touched base with Avedizara, not only were affected slightly with idolatry, they were steeped into it. They were deep, deep into this whole Avedizara. So a one-time act, just taking a shepsel and shechting it, would not have been rehabilitating enough. So they needed something more to get deprogrammed from this whole Egyptian influence they were under. So therefore they were given a job, a task, to hold on to this for four days. So the simple question, what's the Cheshman four days? Where do you know that four days is enough for a detox? We see by Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was asked by the Almighty Himself to offer his son Yitzchak as a karm. The very next morning, early in the morning, Vayash came Avram Babeker. He rose up early, he harnessed his donkey himself, and he set out on his mission. Where? Dunno. I'm going. At that point in time, he was very, very enthusiastic. He was full fledged, full fledged, full steam ahead to go and to bring Yitzchak as a Little did he realize that it wasn't happening that day. It wasn't happening tomorrow or the day after. It was after three days of journey that Avraham Avinu has shown the place. This is where you're going to bring Yitzchak as a karm. After three days. Rashi explains, again, why did God delay showing him immediately to the place? People should not say that he acted out of the spur of the moment. People should not say he brought Yitzchak as a karm. Yeah, he brought him as a karm. He sacrificed him. Because Nicholas Beirach Shtus, he had a momentary, he was, um, well, how did you call it? Temporary, uh, temporary insanity. He was struck with a moment of insanity of zealots, he became overzealot, and he is told, sacrifice, pick the knife, and kill them. <laughs> Had he thought about it, or now that he's thinking about it, he won't say anything, 
But thinking about 2020 hindsight, he knows he made a mistake. That's what it said. Therefore, he was given four days from when he was told until he did it. So that he could sit and think and rethink it. So if anybody should ever ask a question, this man had plenty of time to rethink this thing and to back out. But he did not because he was determined, because he was set, his mindset was to work and to do what God's will was. We know the greatest passion a person has is for their child. And since now, this compassionate Avram Avinu, who was so full of chesed for everybody, so much more so his own child, his only single son, single son, to who, of whom he was promised would be the future generations. And by killing him now, he wasn't married. What would remain of him? What would become of Avram's future? Therefore, when he took him for four days, if he was ready to bring him up for a sacrifice, anyone seeing and hearing this knowing knew this was a very well calculated mission. The same thing here. When the Yidin had, so therefore we see that it took four days. So when the Yidin had this sheep for four days in their house, making all over the house, never mind, and bleeding, and screaming, and quetching, and having to feed it, they were fully aware that on the fourth day, they have to bring this as a curb. When is he tied it? It was tied for four days and they fed it and they they coddled it and they taught it and they spoke to it and they kissed it. Yeah. Huh? The kids, kids were having fun. They were poking it with sticks. But um, throwing rocks at it. But for four days it, it, it hung out with them. They, hung, they became homies with it. A house pet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Therefore, after four days, they were able to also wipe out, deprogram whatever the Egyptians had planted within them. They have a very interesting question. We know that Parai kept holding back, not letting them go. I changed my mind. I'm not letting them go. I changed my mind. I'm not letting Go, 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 go. No, you can't go. Go, go, go. You can't go. And the Parsha starts off, Come again to Parai. Why, Moshe says, Leave me alone. Enough. Die. Chalas. Says the Ebishna Kiani Echbadati as Libai be a slave of Odov. I made, I hardened his heart. And that of his servants. Why? The man she see a say say ele be kirvei. So I may place these signs of mine amongst him in his midst. I am doing my Avedis Hashem. Why am I serving God? Because I was told to. What's so great about me doing something that God told me? Because ultimately I have a Bechir Chavshis. I have a free choice. I can say, Nechotche. Nechotche. I will this. I don't want lo I don't want to do it. The was that. You didn't want, you don't do it. But what happens if I not have a Yetzatev, any Yetzahara fighting over, should, do I want, do I not want, should I, should I not do it? But rather, 
I only have the Yed Sahara. And the Yed Sahara keeps telling me, no, 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 do not do this mitzvah. Do I then in turn come to God and say, God, I had no reason to do mitzvahs. I am not at fault for doing all these sins. My Yed Sahara controlled me. Here says the Taylor clearly that the Abishta confesses, I hardened Pare's heart, and he's not letting the Jews go. What happens? Makis after Makis, Makis Bechedis, and then he comes to the Yamsam and he drowns the son of Agan. Why is he drowned? Because he's getting punished for all that he did to the Jews and didn't let them go. He didn't let them go because he didn't deny him let him go. You hardened his heart. Of course he's not going to let them go. You're going into the kitchen. Bring a cup of water. If Shem Ben Lakish answers this question in the Madrash, and he explains that Pari was punished by God with remorselessness because he repeatedly ignored God's warnings before the Makis. But if Shimbalakish's words say God warns a man once, twice, even three times, at that point the person doesn't do tshuva, God locks the doors of tshuva against him to ensure that he's going to be punished for the sin. Thank you for well. Now this only explains why Pari was not given a chance to do tshuva and avert the punishment. We find, however, that even after his heart was hardened, Pari was warned again. If, if you refuse to let my nation go, behold, tomorrow I'll bring locusts on your borders. Why, why punish him? He continued refusing B'nai Yisrael because <laughs> they made him that way. So evidently, even after God hardened his heart, Pari still had the possibility of changing his ways. There must have been a way. And we find this in the principle that was taught in Tanya. Those of the Talmud states are not granted a chance to do tshuva. It means only that they are not granted the opportunity. But they can ultimately break through and overpower this evil impulse and do tshuva anyway, in spite of it. In that case, this is in Geras Tshuva, chapter Yud Aleph, in that case, says Tanya that the person can do the tshuva. By the same to- token, even after God directly told Pare and, and hardened his heart, he still had the potential to free himself and to ultimately do what he had to do. From here we learn that hope is never lost for a person to do tshuva. Adirabah, the opposite, contrary. The obstacles that a Jew finds in his path for tshuva are actually the vessels that he needs for the tshuva. And those very obstacles he uses not against himself, but for himself, so that he can ultimately do tshuva, and then ultimately we will go to the discuss of the holy Baba Sali, Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatserah, tonight the yard site, discuss the Yogan Aleinu, and as course as we're going to coming up now, preparing ourselves for next week, for Yud Shvat, each day preparation, this Shabbos, customary to get an Aliyah, in honor of Yud Shvat, in honor of the Yotzer, of the Friedrich Rebbe, and we should be Zechetake, the Rekitz of Rano, Sheikh Neofar, the Heim, the Reisham, and they will lead us out with Mashiach and Kenu, out of Golos, this very Shabbos, before we read about Mashalach Pareh, Amen. Shabbat Shalom to all. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, my throat is parched. Okay.